We're going to be in Acts chapter number 5 today. Acts chapter number 5. As a young preacher, I've been taught and I've been educated on the ways of older preachers. And they all seem to have a book full of illustrations and metaphors and jokes and things to open up the, the preaching service with. I don't have one of those. So we're going to be in Acts chapter number 5. Acts chapter number 5. Last week, we dealt with the first persecution of the church. We felt with we dealt with uh, Peter and John going and, uh, and dealing with that lame man. And in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, they healed that man. And they were met with animosity. Their, their good deed, their thing that they did for the Lord, their thing that they did for this man, uh, was met with just simply pure evil. They were questioned. They were interrogated. And the church quickly realized that they were alone in this world. The church quickly realized that they were out on their own, that the world was not going to help them, the government was not going to help them, the Pharisees were not going to help them, the, the brethren were not going to help them, that they were completely and totally alone. So they in, initially formulated a battle plan and a way to survive and a way to ensure that the church would carry on uh, in, the day, in those days, even though they were being persecuted, even though the things weren't looking good. Uh, they, they, they formed a plan, and we're going to just by way of review read that plan in chapter number 4. And starting in verse 31, you don't have to stand here. We're going to be reviewing this. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled. Again, this is chapter 4, verse 31. Where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which they possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of the lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite in the, count, in the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we see a, a plan formed here, a means of survival, where the, the people of the church got together and began to sell their possessions, began to sell their lands, and bring them back to the church house and lay them down at the apostles' feet. It's very important to understand that before we get to our text verse today. And if you will, stand in honor and reverence to the reading of chapter number 5 and verse number 1. So we see the atmosphere. We understand what's going on. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price. I want the church to read with me again in verse number 2. And kept back part of the price. Let's do that again. And kept back part of the price. One more time. And kept back part of the price. We see this couple held it back. I want to preach this morning on this thought. The danger of holding back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray now that your spirit begin to move amongst these pews, God. And as we may be six feet apart, we're right next to you this morning, God. I pray that you deal with each and every heart as you see fit. God, if there's anyone in this room lost, if there's anyone in this room that is holding back, that they're uh, holding back their soul and their eternal security, God, I pray that you touch them. God, if there's anybody in this room holding back their sin of unconfession, God, I pray that you touch them. God, if there's anybody in here holding back their surrender, God, I pray that you deal with them in your way by your spirit. And I pray these things in, I, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's be seated. So we have to understand, by that's why we read chapter number 4, the exact atmosphere that the church was in. Before we can really get in and then grasp under uh, chapter number 5, 
we have to really understand in the book of Acts exactly where they were, what they were dealing with, the mentality and the atmosphere that they were undergoing. Imagine everyone in this room, and I do this often, I'm weird, okay, I'm, I'm one of those, I watch those survival shows, and I watch those, you know, worst case scenario shows, and I want to know if it all went downhill real quick, how would I survive, what would I do, what would I do with my family, and you might call me one of those crazy people, you know, but I've got this over here, and I've got that stashed over there, and I've got this over here, and I, you know, I, I'm not fearful, but at the same time, I'm not uh, going to put my head in the sand, and I, this is the kind of scenario that I think all the time. Me and Miss Candy were on a hayride with the kids back in the fall, and we're riding on this tractor through these woods, and I, saw, I told her, I said, do you ever just, when you're on a hayride or a ferry ride, or you're just somewhere with a large group of people that are complete strangers, do you ever look around and imagine if you all had to survive with that group, you know? Would that guy be okay at building a campfire, or would that young lady, would she cook, you know, or would, would that one be able to build a, build a fort, or who would be the leader? And you kind of looking around and you're eyeballing. So this morning, to help us understand exactly where the church was, I want us all to imagine, I want us to all, by way of thought, this is what Jesus did. He used an earthly story and He gave it heavenly meanings. That each person in the sanctuary, we're on a plane ride together, all right? Look to your left, look to your right. Understand who's on the plane with you, okay? Understand who you wouldn't want to sit next to, all right? Understand who you may not, <clears throat> you may want to sit next to. Understand who's going to be talking the whole time the plane's in the air. Understand who may not say anything the whole plane's in the air. Put yourself on that airplane and we're on this plane ride and uh, for circumstances unbeknownst to us, that plane crashes and every single one of us survive and we gather together on a desert island. All right? We would begin to be looking around and we would begin to understand that we as a church were in this thing all by ourselves. Nobody knows where we're at. Nobody cares where we're at. We're all in the middle of this stranded island in the middle of the ocean. And we would all begin to look at each other and wonder how in the world are we going to survive? I would submit that we would do exactly what the apostles did. We would all immediately begin to realize we are in a survival situation. All right. We are in a survival situation that every decision we make from that moment forward as we are on this island together, as we are seeking to come together, that we would be simply every decision we would make would be to for the goal and the purpose of survival. I want to submit that that is where the church was, that they understood that every decision they made, that every act they did, that every single <coughs> prayer they prayed was for survival. They had been given the task by Jesus to lift His name, to spread the gospel unto every creature. And they knew that each and everything that they were going to do meant life or death of His church. That everything that they did, everything that they said meant life or death of His church. That they were in a complete survival mode, which means that they were in a sacrificial situation. We know that they would all begin to sacrifice their possessions and their lands if we were on that island together. You know, brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, they may have a bigger tent than the other ones. They may have to sacrifice a little bit so that they can allow people to stay underneath their hut with them if it starts raining. Or This person may have to sacrifice his time to go out and hunt because he's the one that knows how to hunt. If I needed somebody to go and deal with the indigenous people and make sure that we were on the same page with him, you know, I might send Miss BJ, somebody that could speak tribal language or something like that. Or I might... I might send, you know, Brother Don to go and build him a build him a house in exchange for some food. We'd all begin to look at what we were good at and what the individuals had to sacrifice and had to bring to the table. And as we would be on that desert island, we'd be just like that church. We'd be saying, all right, well, I have a bunch of land that I'm not using. I'll, I'll go sell it and I'll bring that money in. And I have uh, an income that's higher than hers and she's not able to pay her bills now that she's a Christian because her family's disowned her. So I'm going to take on her financial burden upon my... And they begin to bring these goods and bring these funds to the storehouse sacrificially. All right, And not only was it a sacrificial situation, but a survival situation, but it was a successful situation. All right, It was, it was working. God was blessing it. The Holy Ghost was all in the midst of it. 
He loved it. He loved a church that was completely and totally dependent on each other and on Him. And today I want to submit that we are in that same boat, that we are not necessarily looking that the clouds are gray and we're not going to make it, but we are in a successful situation because we understand that every decision we make matters to God and that every word we say matters to God and every act that we do and every sacrifice that we make matters to God. And it may mean making it or breaking it. It may mean moving forward or moving backward. It may mean standing still or never going on another step we are in that boat with them we are on that island with them and it is so critical to understand before you go into chapter number five and you point the finger at Ananias and Sapphira and before you go and you see this couple you have to understand where the church was they were a group of people that were as we talked about a few Sundays ago that were giving it their all literally each and every family in that church each and every believer they were giving everything that they had to make sure that that church carried on there was nothing that they were holding back and it's important to grasp that atmosphere. So when you see the severity of what's happening in chapter number five, you know that everybody in that church is giving it everything they got. Everybody in the church is giving everything they have. They may be sacrificing things. They may be the ones that stand watch to make sure that their church meetings aren't discovered by the Romans or discovered by the Pharisees. You may have some that are working out in the private sector in the markets and things like that, and they're funding for the apostles to be able to travel and the apostles to be able to go preach and the apostles to be able to go witness. Each and every person had a skill set that God was using during this time and everyone was giving them, giving it their all. And we see now as we move into chapter 5 that the biggest danger to this, while they were in a very successful point, they had the Holy Ghost guiding their every step. They had the people of God working together, meshing together. There was no danger outside the walls of the church that could come against them. They had tried. They had, they had crucified the Son of God. That didn't even work. There was nothing that the world could do to them at this point that could harm them. And I would submit the same here at Anchor of Hope. There is nothing that the lost world out there could do that could harm the ministry of Jesus Christ out here. But we would see as we move into chapter number 5, it wasn't a danger on the outside. It wasn't a danger from the media. It wasn't a danger from the politicians. It wasn't a danger from the powers that be at the time that could harm that church they were in a successful situation. They were moving forward. People were getting saved. The church was growing. It was being added to by the Lord. The only danger that they faced was on the inside. Amongst one of their couples. Amongst one of their people. So understand where they're at. They are in a survival situation. Put yourself in their shoes as we begin to deal with chapter number 5. Let's read it. Chapter number 5, verse number 1. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back. They held it back. Part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back, there to get it again, to hold back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether thou sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have carried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. The young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, and buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. 
That great fear it talks about in verse 11 was the reason I wanted to read that entire passage of Scripture. This should scare us. This should shudder us. It was placed in the New Testament for a reason to remind the church the danger of holding back. The danger of keeping back part of it for yourself. The danger of thinking you're going to make a mockery of the Holy Spirit of God. That is why this text is in our Bibles this morning. So this morning I want to give you the danger of holding back. The danger of holding back. Number one, holding back is dangerous because it doesn't look like you're doing it. Holding back is dangerous because it doesn't look like you're doing it. Look at verse number one. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. I want you to see the depth of this. They were a participating couple. Ananias and Sapphira on the surface were doing what everyone else was doing. Understand that. On the surface, they went and they sold their land too. They went and they sold their possessions too. And when you're holding back, sometimes it's not obvious that you're holding back. Sometimes when you're holding things back from God, whether it be your, whether it be the, your soul itself, you're not saved, whether it be sin in your life, whether it be your surrender to God's will, when you're holding back, nobody really understands at first what's going on. Nobody can really spot it. But you know on the inside that you're holding back. That was Ananias and Sapphira. They were a couple that on the surface were doing nothing different than all the other couples in the church. On the surface, they were participating in just the same behavior as everybody else in the church. And so many times we get caught up in the participation and the checking of the spiritual box. And I was there. I showed up. I interacted. I shook a couple people's hand. I sang the songs. I prayed during the altar time. And I walked back out the door that we can be very in the very act of holding back from the Holy Spirit of God, of making a mockery of Him, of lying to Him. And meanwhile, it, on the surface, it doesn't look like we're doing that at all. We're just a participating individual. We're just here for the participation trophy. If anybody knows me in my youth ministry, those teenagers could recite it like a book. And I say, Anchor of Hope is not A. And they all say, participation trophy church all right they all understand that we do not come here just to participate we come here to serve we come here to be the part of God's kingdom that he wants to use and that he wants to bless and that he wants to move forward we are not here just to check a box we are not here just to participate we are not here to just hold back but look like we're giving it our all it was a participating couple but it was a premeditated conception this was no spur of the moment idea this was no, hey, Sapphira, I know we've been serving God wholeheartedly, but this time, let's just cheat him a little bit. No, for somebody to make the decision to hold back of God, it takes time, it takes meditation, it takes thought, it takes them weighing the balances of do I give it all I've got, do I serve God, or am I just going to do this much? I would do this much, but then I might you know, put all my eggs in one basket per se. I might put all my uh, <coughs> hopes and dreams into one area. Brother, sister, if there's somewhere you can put your faith, if there's somewhere you can put your eggs per se, if there's somewhere you can put your hopes and dreams, it is into the church of the living God. It is into the servant, the servantship of serving your King and your Lord and your Savior. And these people had to premeditate this decision. This wasn't uh, something that would have just been a spur of the moment idea. This would have been something. Ananias, are you really selling our land? Yeah, don't worry, dear. I've got it all planned out. We're going to sell it for this amount, but we're only going to give the church this amount. And I've already got it planned out. I'm going to try to sell it for way more than it's worth. I'm going to try to make it look like it's something great. I'm going to try to make it look like it's something noble. But deep down, you and I know, Sapphira, you and I know what we're doing, and you and I know what, it, what we're doing is wrong. And holding back from God is premeditated, isn't it? We know before we walk on this soil, before we come to this property, whether we're going to worship Him or not. 
We know before we walk in the doors whether we're going to give it our all or not. We make that decision when we wake up in the morning. We make that decision when we wake up and we say, thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes. Or the first words out of our mouth is a complaint about something. We make that decision long before. We make the decision to hold back as Christians and churches do it all over the place long before decision time comes. So understand that it was a premeditated consumption, but it was a partial corruption. Notice they didn't hold it all back. They gave something. They gave something. Look at verse number two. And kept back part of the price. You see, a modern day, if they held it all back, they wouldn't show up. But a lot of people are only willing to bring part. They'll show up. They'll be here. They'll check that box. But there's a part of the price that they're not willing to pay. You see this? There's a part of the surrender that they're not willing to give. There's a part of the servanthood that they're not willing to commit to. There's a part of the service of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that they're just not willing to go that far. They're just not willing. And they're willing to come in and <clears throat> bring that offering to the Lord. Look at what Ananias and Sapphira did. They said, apostles, here it is, no doubt. Maybe the, the smiths just brought in their possessions. And this is happening with all the couples of the church, with all the families of the church, with all the women of the church, with all the men of the church. We discussed in chapter 4, everyone was giving it their all. Everyone was sacrificing something. Everybody had the right heart. Everybody was dwelling together in unity. And no doubt maybe a couple came out the door or a young couple came out the door or a man came out the door and they had just finished laying down their sacrifices or they had just finished laying down their possessions. And then it came, Ananias and Sapphira's turn, no problem, they're looking at each other out of the corner of their eye and they, they lay down those possessions and they say, there you go, preacher man, we, we did our job. And Ananias said, or Peter said, Ananias? No, it was just him. And he turned around and he said, but you no doubt the wheels are spinning in his mind. But I've laid something down. What does he have to question me on? Let me tell you something. God knows when you're not bringing your all in this place. God knows when you come in here with an ulterior motive. It doesn't matter what you lay down at these altars. It doesn't matter what, how you dress up. It doesn't matter how loud you may think you're singing. It doesn't matter how big of a show you think you're going to put on. God knows when it's only partial. God knows when you've got a certain part that you left back at the house that that belongs to you. God had got no business touching that. And that's what you're going to do. And that's the thing that you're not willing to give up. And that's the thing that you're going to hold back from the Holy Spirit of God. He knows when it's partial. If you'll lie, look at this, if you'll lie to Peter... If you'll lie to the preacher, if you'll lie to the apostles, you'll lie to anybody. You'll lie to God. If you'll lie to His church, if you'll lie to His sweetheart, if you'll lie and you'll say, I'm here, I'm smiling, I'm in the pew, but I'm, I'm not really here. You're lying to God. That's what Peter said. Holding back is dangerous because it doesn't even look like you are. People don't notice it. The brethren may not see it. God sees it. And you know it. And you know it. Number two, holding back is dangerous because it leads others away. Look at verse number two. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. You know what that word privy dials into? This is a secret. Sapphira, nobody knows about this. This is my plan. This is an idea I've had. If it requires a scheme, 
If it requires a secret, listen to me. If it requires backbiting, planning, talking, gossiping, huddling in a corner, going to here and going to there, having this meeting and that meeting and planning and conspiring and scheming, it is not the will of our holy God. It is not and even in his ballpark. If you have to scheme it, if you have to plan it, if you have to sweep it under the rug, if you have to get it all together and plan it down with man's wisdom and man's philosophies, it is not of God. She was privy to it. He said, and Sapphira, listen up. What I've, listen to this plan I've hatched in my little mind. She understood it. And now he's not just condemned himself. He's condemned the ones who he's telling it to. He's not just condemned his own heart for his own deceitful lust. He's condemning the one that he's supposed to love the most. He's condemning his wife. How many times has your holding back become contagious? How many times has your unwillingness to fully surrender to God become completely and totally contagious? And it's maybe spread to your wife. It's maybe spread to your kids. You're not giving it your all on Sunday. You're not giving it your all on Wednesday. You're holding back every single time you come in the house of God. You're holding back when you're at work and you refuse to witness. You're holding back at the grocery store when you don't tell people about Jesus. And after a certain amount of time, You have to start involving your wife in your scam. You start having to involve your kids in your scam. You might have to start involving your friends in your scam because they got to be privy to it. You have this idea that you're going to hold back and nobody's going to notice, so you've got to start congregating members to your cause. You've got to start huddling them in. This is what Ananias and Sapphira are doing. Now, she was privy to it. Look down at another word in verse number 4. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, as Peter talked, was it not in thine own power? Look at what Peter dials into the heart of the issue, literally. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Again, this was no spur of the moment decision. He looked at Ananias and he said, this is what is on the inside of your heart. This is a thought that you have on a daily basis. This is a surrender to sin that you make on a daily basis. This was a plan. This was a scheme. This was something you had to birth out of the pits of your own heart. What is in your heart will emulate itself in your behavior. What is in a man's heart will emulate itself in the way he acts, the way he talks, the way he dresses, the way he speaks to people, the way he carries himself. What is in his heart will be the behavior that he puts on Maybe not just on Sunday, but on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday. The behavior that's in his heart will show forth and it will come out. And he will have to begin to passing that behavior off to maybe his little ones or passing that behavior off to his wife. Have you ever been around somebody for a long period of time? I'll give you an example. I've been on job sites with Brother Gary Reeves and Jim Bob Nation and they call each other boss man. Well, before you know it, after being on that job site for about 20 minutes, I'm calling everybody boss man. I'm around that behavior and I, and I emulate that behavior. That's natural human nature that's going to happen. But when you <coughs> burst deceit in your heart and your behavior is that of holding back, your behavior is that of deceit, your behavior is that of bitterness, that behavior will begin to rub off on others and it will all stem from not their hearts, not their actions, but your heart and your actions. What's the final word of the story? Verse number 9. Then Peter said unto her, now he's talking about Sapphira. See how it's so dangerous because it leads others away? How is it that ye have agreed together? You have agreed together. He doesn't just lump Sapphira's sin in with Ananias, does he? He doesn't just say, you're toast too. The Holy Ghost is going to zap you too. 
because of what Ananias did. No, he said, Sapphira, you have agreed together with him. You have made this decision. As I'm preaching about holding back, as the Holy Spirit of God is dealing with His bride, dealing with His church, and maybe there's some of you holding something back. I don't know. God knows. But maybe some of you, that the thought is into your head of, oh, I'm not the one hatching this holding back. I, I, I give my all, but... You know, so-and-so is the one holding back. So-and-so is the one. And I just kind of associate with them. They're kind of my friend. They're kind of my spiritual brother and my spiritual sister. And they're the one that's holding back. But I'm not. I'm, I'm just associating with them. I'm just their friend. But if it all came down to it and God walked in the building, He wouldn't just say, you're excused for your behavior because it came out of His heart. He'd say, no, you agreed together with them. You agreed together with their holding back. Their willingness to make a mockery of the Holy Spirit of God did not stop with them. It entered unto you. And you made the conscious decision to go right along with it, march to the beat of their drum, do the things, maybe not even tell the preacher, maybe not even tell the church what was going on, maybe not even tell God about it. You thought you were hiding it. You thought it was a secret. And he said, Sapphira, it may have been Ananias' idea. It may have came out of his heart, but you agreed together with him and now your fate is going to be the same as his. God will not be mocked. God will not be mocked. Because that together word is important for those of us who like to hold back. Because if we hold back, it's obvious. If we just hold back and it's consistently just us, it becomes very quick to identify by God's churches that they're holding back. They're holding back. Bob's holding back. Bob's holding back. He's holding back. I know it's Bob. But if Bob can rally some together to his cause, if Bob can cause others to fall back, and there's nobody here named Bob, I hope, if Bob can get a bunch of people to hold back together, then it becomes a, well, now... They're, maybe they're doing something right and I'm wrong. Because that, that together word is important. That together word is important. No holding back. Holding back is dangerous because the Lord has no patience for it. Holding back is dangerous because the Lord has no patience for it. The penalty for this couple was death. In this case, physical because the Holy Ghost could not allow this mockery content to continue. It was not about money. It was about lying to God. He, he struck them dead, didn't he? He took them out. Does that happen today? I don't know. God knows. I don't know why people die. I don't know why people suddenly befall themselves ill. I don't know. God knows. But I will tell you that God's Truths have not changed. What God stood for here in the book of Acts, He still stands for today, amen? What God drew a line in the sand on a thousand years ago, that line is still there, amen? What, what God says is right is still right, and what God says is still wrong is wrong, amen? So if God dealt with Ananias and Sapphira for the simple act of holding back, there are many preachers that will sit here and focus in on that dollar and dig that dollar in and pull that dollar out of this text Friend, let me tell you, God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. God could care less if you could put in $300 a week or $3 a week. God doesn't need our money. He uses gold for asphalt. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The, <clears throat> so many times this gets mispreached. The sin was not involved of dollars and cents. The sin was involved in thinking they could hold back from a holy and righteous God. And they could say, God, you've given me everything. God, you've saved me. God, you've given me eternity. God, you love me. You sent your darling son to die on a cross for me. But I'm going to hold back on you. That's what the problem was here tonight. This morning, whatever time it is. You got kids like mine, the hours don't matter. 
God has no patience for it. And if it was wrong then, it's wrong now. Three ways you could be holding back tonight, this morning, and I'm done. If you hold back your soul, some of you may be in this room, you've never given God your soul. You may have come to a church for a long time, and when it came time to lay your life down, lay your soul down, and give up complete and total control, and place your faith in the cross of Calvary, and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you hold it back. You're willing to come, you're willing to put on the jacket, you're willing to put on the tie, you're willing to put on the dress shoes, you're willing to take a bath, you're willing to shave, you're willing to do whatever you got to do. You'll check all those boxes, but when it comes time time to make the decision, am I going to put my faith in eternity in the Lord Jesus Christ, or am I going to keep my faith in eternity in myself? You hold back that faith, you hold back your soul, and you say, no worry God, I, I, I'll agree with your church, I'll, I'll play nice, but I, I'm holding back that part. You hold back your soul, God will not save your soul. God will not save your soul. We shouldn't be worried about getting zapped dead like Ananias and Sapphira. We should be worried about going to hell if we fall into that category. We should be worried about maybe getting in our car and never making it home, but waking up in the pit of fire. If you hold back your soul, God will not save your soul. Because He's begging. He's pleading. He gave everything He had on the cross of Calvary and He said, Come. Come unto Me. But if we hold back, it gets real, real dangerous real, real fast. Especially when we begin to realize that what we're holding on to, we can't hold on to. You and I have no control over whether we take our next breath or not. Lost in here, have you realized that? You have zero control over whether you breathe one more breath. You know who does? You know whose hand you're in? You know who's already got you? Why are you holding back? Number two, if you're holding back your sin. This goes to us Christian folk. We haven't served God in a long time like we know we ought to. Because there's a sin in our life. Every time we enter God's house, we sing the songs, we make sacrifice, we, we spend our time to prepare on Saturday night, Sunday morning to get ready to come to church. But when it comes down time to really buckle up and to really serve God, there's that sin that God puts His finger on and altar call after altar call after altar call where he's saying, just bring it down. Lay it at my feet. Leave it at the cross. Walk away. Get it under the blood. Have that burden be lifted off your account. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we don't still carry around sin. Amen. We still mess up. We still sin. We put ourselves back under that burden. And he says on a weekly basis to his church, he says on a daily basis to his children, lay that sin down. Don't hold it back. Quit carrying it around. But so many of us will get to that time of decision and we'll say, I'll just hold it a week longer because I'm just too embarrassed of what people might say. I'm just going to hold it on just a little bit longer because I'm too embarrassed of what God might think of me. I'm going to hold on to that sin because I'm too embarrassed of what my kids may think of their daddy. I'm going to hold on to that sin just a little bit longer. I'm too embarrassed of what my kids may think of their mom or what my husband might think of me, what my wife might think of me. I'm going to carry that sin. I'm going to hold it back. God may never bless you again. God may never do anything big in your life because of that one sin. Are you going to heaven if you placed your place and trust in Jesus? Absolutely, you're going to heaven. But you may never live the life God has called you to live if you hold on to that sin. If you hold back your soul, God cannot save you. If you hold back your sin, God cannot use you. But if you hold back your surrender, this is a big one. You may be living right. You may have a great relationship with your Lord Jesus Christ. If you hold back that last S, surrender. 
you may get put on the bench. You know what God was doing to Ananias and Sapphira? He looked down at a church that was giving it everything they had. He found a couple that thought they were going to hold back. He said, out of here with you. I don't have time for that in my church. I don't have a place for that lying in my church. People are dying and going to hell. I don't have time for you to play games, Ananias and Sapphira. People need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't have time for you to lie to me, Ananias and Sapphira. You're either you're in or you're out. Could you be in danger of being put on the bench? Could you wonder, God never speaks to me anymore. God never asks me questions anymore, Miss Joy, if you'll come. God never puts things on my heart to go and do and to go and say, could it mean that you've been spiritually benched? Because week after week, that surrender that He's been asking for, give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Let me have your life. Let me use it. I can promise you, child, that I will use you, that you will be a blessing to others, that you will leave a mark when you leave this world, that you will be a shining light and a trophy of God's grace, that you will leave an impact on your family and your community. You will leave a legacy of Jesus Christ everywhere you walk if you'll simply just surrender, if you'll simply just lay it down, if you'll simply quit, just quit playing games and quit holding back. This is dangerous, friend. This is dangerous, sis. This is dangerous, brother. If you have not surrendered and said, God, what would you have me to do with my life? It doesn't matter if you've been saved five months or five years or 50 years. If you've never made that decision and said, God, here is my life. You can have it. You can use it. Whatever you have me to do, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, if you've been holding back that long, you may be in danger of being spiritually benched. God's saying, sit over there. I've got a church that wants to testify of me. I've got a church that wants to witness for me. I've got a people that want to sing my praises. I've got a, a man that wants to preach my word. If you don't, sit over there. The gospel ship's coming. He'll pick you up. But when you get up there, you won't hear that well done. With this, and I'll close. What if at the Bema seat, you're standing before a holy and righteous, perfect, almighty God? And you already have your head down like this, because we all will. But he says, look up here. And you see up on that book, whatever it is he's writing on at the beam of seat. And you see your works displayed before you. And you see up there, missionary, evangelist, preacher, witness, faithful pastor's wife, faithful deacon's wife, faithful deacon, faithful servant, took care of my house took care of my people, took care of my widows, took care, and you said, as Miss Joy begins to play, God, I didn't do any of that. God, I, I didn't do any of those things. And he says, oh, you're right, I forgot to erase it. Those are all the things you could have done if you quit holding back. If you quit holding back. Standing all over the house. I want to ask that question. Are you holding back this morning? It's dangerous. It's very dangerous, church. I've heard many a testimony of the saint of God, and they always say the same thing. I wish I could have done more. I wish I could have done more. With their dying breath, that's what they say. I wish I could have witnessed more. Are you in a position where you need to quit holding on to something?
I'm going to pray. And as I say, amen, you come. Father, thank you so much for your church. God, thank you so much for Ananias and Sapphira. That you pin their names in the holy edges of Scripture that we may know of the danger of holding back. We may know the danger of playing church. We may know the danger of playing Christian. God, I pray above all, if there's one in this room that's holding back their soul, that's never put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood shed on Calvary to save their soul, I pray and I ask that you touch them, you draw them to an altar, you meet them there and you save their soul. And I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.